And hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition of Narrative Live. It's a Thursday night. It's 9 p.m. Not normally the time I'm talking to you, but we're going to do a special show tonight looking at the McGonagall Affair. There's been a lot of research into what it means to have such a high-profile intrusion into the FBI, a senior uh, agent for the FBI, a retired one, but still a senior one, working, it seems, on behalf of an adversary of the United States, doing some very malign things in Albania and the neighboring countries of Albania. But most intriguingly for all of us, it really all ties back to 2016. We're all wondering the same thing. Did this particular agent who had his fingers on so many of the big cases of 2016, did it affect the outcome of the 2016 election? And was he already turned by the time he was working these election cases? We're going to go through all of that tonight. Now, I had Craig Unger, the very celebrated author of American Compromise, plus many other best-selling books on the other day. He writes for many of America's leading publications. And I asked him to explain a little bit more about the impact of the Charlie McGonigal arrest and indictment. I think the fact that he was in counterintelligence is extraordinary because when you look at the Mueller investigation, you realize they concentrated only on crimes, not on national security threats, mm. as a counterintelligence investigation should do. So to me, it seemed clear that, it, that if Trump has laundered tens of millions of dollars from the Russian mafia, which after all is connected to Russian intelligence, and if he failed out again and again by Bayrock and other actors that were tied to Russia, the Russian Federation, isn't he compromised? They own him. Yeah, they own him. But I guess if you have a cop in your pocket who's running the counterintelligence office at the FBI and you have someone like Rod Rosenstein at the Department of Justice who's going to give you a very limited briefing around Mueller, you're feeling pretty confident that you're not going to get caught. The truth of it is they owned the cops and they owned what investigation might be coming down the line at them. Plus, owned the mob. Yes. Now, it's just extraordinary. And I think what we see again and again is we have so little oversight in this country. Whether now where the Republicans taking over Congress, it's just a joke. They're going to be doing everything McGonagall did all over again. Indeed, it does feel like it's a bit of a joke, but it isn't. It's deadly serious what's been going on. And we're going to reveal tonight some of the things you've been asking us. Since this all broke, many people have been asking about the role that McGonagall may have played in the 2016 elections. Did he maybe have a role to play in those Clinton emails that were found on Anthony Weiner's laptop? Was he part of the cabal at the FBI that tried to convince Comey that he had to put out a statement about those emails uh, or they would do it themselves? Was it McGonagall who was quoted in the New York Times saying, that investigating Donald Trump, this was the headline, the FBI sees no clear link to Russia. There was a lot of activity going on in the summer of 2016 involving the FBI designed to not only discredit Hillary Clinton, but really uh, support Donald Trump and his reputation. So those are very interesting and notable questions. We'll get to all of those tonight, but we're going to do a lot more. We're going to look at more than just those initial moments 2016 that people have focused on in September and October. We're going to go back and look to see whether he impacted the GRU hack of the DNC, whether he and his colleagues and maybe the people who are paying his bills, did they influence the investigation? We'll be looking at the leak of those emails involving WikiLeaks, and we'll be looking at Crossfire Hurricane itself, the entire investigation. And was it compromised in any way by all this new information that we now have about McGonagall being potentially on a foreign adversary's payroll during this whole time? There's much more, of course, to the story. And what I want to do first, before we get any further, is really get us centered around the new facts that are coming out. When I look at the story being covered in the United States, it's barely getting mentioned. 
In Albania, it's wall-to-wall coverage because, of course, it impacts Albania. McGonagall befriended the prime minister of Albania. He was operating as an operative for him. He was doing all sorts of things for a lot of money, it seems, for uh, the Albanian prime minister. And the extent of that is really quite shocking when you think about it. A former FBI supervising agent charge of counterintelligence going over to another country and operating like a mobster, basically, intimidating people, threatening people, blackmail, corruption, you name it. Those are the allegations that are being made against McGonagall right now in Albania. And most of you are probably like me thinking, where is Albania? <laughs> what, is, what are we talking about here? Because it's a tiny country. It really is a tiny country. And there it sits right next to Greece, Bulgaria and North Macedonia, just to the north of them. And then Serbia, Kosovo and Montenegro. All of those Balkan states have a really difficult history in the last 20 years. There's lots of war going on. And that is all part of the story here. And to give you some more background here, if you could, and I can't on this map, unfortunately, zoom out, you would see that there's Romania above Bulgaria and then there's Ukraine. And what has been so important to Vladimir Putin throughout his attack on Ukraine, throughout this crazy war that he's currently prosecuting against the Ukrainian people, was to try and build as much of a path to the warm water ports of the Mediterranean. And so Ukraine was one piece of that. It was going to give him some of those warm water ports in the Black Sea. But he certainly has indicated through his diplomatic and propaganda efforts that he has his eye out on Bulgaria and he has his eye out on Greece. In fact, he wants to go all the way to the Mediterranean. And look what happens to be there. Albania has this very nice beachfront property right along the Mediterranean. And then, of course, uh, there was an incredible war that happened not too long ago between Serbia and Kosovo. Kosovo is a newly declared independent country, but not everyone in the world recognizes it. Certainly, Vladimir Putin does not recognize it as a country. The Chinese don't recognize it as a country. So it is under contention. There's a lot of foreign and, and NATO and EU troops that keep the peace over there. It's quite scary that how tenuous that peace is. At any moment, it seems to people who live in that part of the world, war could break out. So when you throw operatives like the FBI, former FBI agent, into a territory like this, it could absolutely ignite a regional war of some sort. And keep that in mind as we talk through some of these incredibly difficult allegations that were made against Conigal. The prime minister of Albania, there you see him pictured in his t-shirt and shorts because it is that kind of country and he's at his beach home there. But this is as recently as a few weeks ago, him warning that Putin is constantly threatening Kosovo, Kosovo. Putin wants to see a war in Kosovo ignited by the Serbs. He really wants that territory back. And they supply all the oil to Serbia, which is why there is such difficulty in that area because the rest of the guys in that area, in those Balkan countries, do not get all their oil and gas from Russia, but Serbia does. So what does that all mean? Here's the prime minister. I didn't get a chance for you to see him. There's Eddie Rama, the very same man that the former FBI agent, McGonagall, went to visit, became good friends with, perhaps took a $225,000 bribe and also helped fix some other things for the prime minister there. This particular story alleges that McGonagall was used to blackmail Meta, the former president of Albania, when he was the president, but he did not succeed. So this is an allegation which is being made by the deputy of the Freedom Party. It's one of the biggest parties in Albania. She's claiming here that the FBI agent, meaning McGonagall, was also used to blackmail Meta the former president. That's the allegation that he was blackmailed. He's no longer in power. Is it maybe the reason he's no longer in power, that he was ultimately blackmailed? We don't know. But according to this person, she says, other instruments were also used. There are several things that lead to President Meta. 
We have many other interventions. There are businessmen who have been blackmailed. There are some judges who have been blackmailed with vetting. Albania is a country which has had a lot of corruption in its history. So when you hear this word vetting, it's really all about how important it is for them to become part of the EU. And in order to become part of the EU, wants to set certain standards for its politicians, for its lawyers, for its judges. Sounds like a good idea everywhere. That's the vetting process. No one wants to not succeed in the vetting process because you become a persona non grata in Albania. You basically can't operate in politics or business there, which is why it is so critical to understand that when McGonagall was out there blackmailing people, allegedly, he was actually influencing the political future of many of these politicians, the judges of the lawyers in Albania, which are, by the way, one of the big problems they've had in Albania is money laundering, money laundering of the drug trade, of which drug trade? The Sinaloa cartel drug trade. In other words, the drugs that are sold into the United States, largely by the Mexican cartel, are then washed through Albania. And that's where the Albanian mafia and the Albanian leadership makes a lot of its money. And so you can see why an FBI cop They're blackmailing leaders, politicians, and blackmailing judges and lawyers has an impact on whether the Sinaloa trade of drugs into the United States can continue. But these are the kind of forces that are impacting our world all the time now. And you can't just look at one instance and say, that's just isolated. Every little bit that happens in the world can trigger something else. Here's another allegation. This time, this is from a TV analyst over there who says McGonagall received millions of euros in Albania and Kosovo, and that he met businessmen, politicians, judges, and prosecutors. Now, that sounds similar to what we've said before, but it's interesting that they're also saying that these allegations continue to Kosovo, which is a country we just spoke about. Vladimir Putin is eyeing a potential war in Kosovo. And here is an FBI agent operating potentially in that country, allegedly blackmailing businessmen, politicians, judges, prosecutors, and receiving billions of dollars, according to this one guy. Now, these are allegations. They're not proven. In fact, it's very hard to even get the allegations verified because they're happening in Albania and there's not much English reporting or English news reporting coming out of there. We had reported last week a big exclusive that does tie into all of this. We alleged in one of the narrative reports that we put out that Mr. McGonigal had um, found himself in a scheme involving a $300 million oil field that was being put up for auction by the Albanian government. He had become a partner with a guy named Shefket Dizdari, who's a well-known lawyer in Albania. And he's also a guy who owns one of these oil field licenses, lucky him, it must be worth a lot of money. The other two people who own this company called the Law Office and Investigation Firm are Groneza, who's a former Albanian intelligence officer who lives in New Jersey, and also Mark Thomas Rossini, who's a former FBI agent as well. And this is the second time now we're seeing an FBI agent tied to the scheme. Now, we have confirmed that these two former FBI agents are in fact partners of this law firm called Law Office and Investigation. Here's the actual paperwork. And there's an explanation as to how McGonagall benefited and how Sheftek Destari benefited as well from this arrangement. So there does seem to be, according to the Albanian media at least, a quid pro quo. McGonagall was approached by Destari to use his high position to intervene with the prime minister, this prime minister Rama, for help in the winning of oil concession. In return, they gave McGonagall a large amount of money, as well as partnership in the business, both of which were verified by CKB. It is ironic that while they were talking about how to protect Albanians from Russian influences, 
Dostari himself, who introduced the American to the dance, has business ties with the Russians. So in fact, this is borne out by the indictment, which was put out by the Washington, D.C. office when they indicted Charlie McGonigal on receiving this $225 million. They said that uh, he had been operating in Albania, that he'd met the prime minister, Mr. Rama, and that he actually told the prime minister to be wary of selling those oil fields to any companies involved in Russia. Now, that sounds very good. It sounds like he's following at least American proper State Department diplomatic lines, even though he was not authorized to have the meeting, even though he never told anyone about the meeting, he never told anyone about the money. He secretly went as a former FBI agent and met with the Albanian prime minister and then came up with this suggestion to the prime minister to be careful of selling these oil auctions, these oil fields to the Russians. Now, as it turns out, they did stop a sale of the, one of these oil fields to the Russians, and they gave it to Mr. Shevket Dostari, from which Charles McGonigal and his other partners would have benefited from that deal. What Charles McGonigal didn't know at the time is that his partner, Shevket Dostari, was also in business with the Russians, with Gazprom, as we mentioned before, which means here you've got a former FBI supervising agent in charge of counterintelligence in the New York office, who at the time that this was all happening had still been there and was now making a deal to benefit from the sale of an Albanian oil field to a company that was sanctioned by uh, the American state because it was owned by Russia. You can let that sink in for a minute. There's a lot of information I just shared with you. But the allegations against Mr. McGonigal are vast and wide, and they're not just about receiving $225,000 to, to dirty up a lobbyist on behalf of the prime minister. It's much, much more than there could, in fact, be millions and millions of dollars at play here. And we know that the allegations that have now been made include that there was um, potential blackmailing of politicians, presidents, lawyers, judges, you name it, that he may have been involved in this 300 million Kremlin oil scheme to get the Albanian oil fields into the hands of the Russians away from other people. And also, that bribery and corruption seems to have extended beyond just the immediate region. So we're not just talking about Albania. Looking at the map again here, we know that he went on his various trips to that region. He went to Kosovo, Montenegro, parts of Bosnia-Herzegovina. So this is a remarkably fresh stuff. It needs some time for people to sink into it, but this is not yet been charged as espionage, although it sure seems to me that it's an organized taking orders from someone who is not, Mr. Rama is a Western-leaning leader. He certainly supports America, but it's certainly not following American policy. And because he was doing all these things that benefited Russia, and because there are allegations that later on, he also took a lot of money once he had retired from Oleg Deripaska for additional work to remove sanctions, it sure gives you the impression that Oleg Deripaska, who acts as an agent, of Vladimir Putin was basically giving orders to this FBI guy to destabilize the region, to win some of these oil fields, and to corrupt the political process inside an independent country. Have you ever heard of anything so ridiculous? An FBI supervising agent going into these other countries, operating like a operative of Oleg Deripaska, Vladimir Putin, and causing a lot of political damage along the way. Let's get back to another clip from last week. This is when I was talking to Craig Unger, who wrote the book, American Compromat, and so many other books like The House of Bush, House of Saad. These are terrific books that really help you place all these stories in history. 
I spoke to Craig about the office, the New York field office, where Charlie McGonigal worked. The time that Charles McGonigal spent in the FBI really tracks the whole emergence of the Russian mob in New York and also the United States. We had the Cosa Nostra there before that. And then the Russian mob came in with the Refuseniks. And then with that mob emerging, there was a new leadership in the FBI and in New York City. And that leadership was essentially Rudy Giuliani. He was the guy in charge, at least in the mayor's office, but before that at the attorney general's office, for policing this change that happened from the Cosa Nostra into the more Russian-controlled New York's mob scene. He had a very good collaborator because James Kallstrom was the head of the New York City FBI field office. And we know that Kallstrom and Rudy had a long history of working together, even after they both left their respective offices. They worked as part of a consultancy together, and they also always kept an open ear to what was going on in the FBI field office by being involved in the FBI union, which is where they were able to get a lot of influence and get a lot of information. And Kalser was very close to Trump as well. I've seen outtapes of him on video explaining his relationship with Trump. I quote him in my last book, American Contramark, and he said the Trump who was famously cheap about giving to charities back in the 70s gave $1.3 million from his favorite charity. Kalser said Trump would call him at least once a week for a 40-year period. That's a real friendship. And it seems that Charles McGonigal, way back in 1996, began his career as an officer in that mob world, really looking at Russian counterintelligence in New York City. It's been a long time that he must be familiar with a lot of the same players who are still there today. When I first got into investigating the money laundering going through Trump Tower of the Russian mafia money, to be honest, I got FBI files. And I think if I can get FBI files, the FBI should have been able to get them too. If you have any questions on, on the YouTube chat, let's answer them if we can. Is the Albanian prime minister being investigated? It's an interesting question that you're asking there. As far as I know, he's been hiding for the last four days or five days, ever since this has come out. He's refused to come out and talk to anybody. But there is a attempt to get him to come and talk to the parliament there. You know, Albania is a fairly new democracy, a difficult time sometimes enforcing its democracy, democratic rules. Certainly they'd like to talk to him. I don't know if they've been able to. That might still be happening. McGonigal must have gotten away with more dollars than that is what is being reported in the paper. What can you compare against what he's ever saying was involved in? It looks to me like it was millions of dollars, although it's hard to say exactly what. The 225000 is all he's been charged with. But it's a small amount of money compared to the values of all these other things that he was involved in. His oil fields were $300 million. And as you saw alleged there, there is an attempt by somebody there to say that there were millions of dollars involved in the scheme. We were talking from a few minutes ago there about the New York field office, which is where Charlie McGonigal began his career. And he was there with, with Jim Kulstrup, the very good friend of Rudy Giuliani, Louis Free, who was the director of the FBI at the time. All these people have allegations of being corrupt. <laughs> I suppose it's the only way to really describe what they've been doing. I'm talking about particularly Rudy Giuliani, James Colston, who's now deceased, and Louis Free. They're in retirement, they've made a lot of money, and it's always a questionable thing about how a civil servant suddenly becomes so rich once they leave office, and perhaps this is why they were able to make so much money. But in, in 1996, things were changing in New York. The Cosa Nostra were being pushed away, and the Russian mob was beginning to, to, start the, to start taking over the city. And to a large extent, it may have been the reason that so many people involved in the policing of 1996 had such illustrious careers. 
as that as that mob was being driven out, a lot of these characters, Andrew McCabe was working the mob scene in, in New York City in 1996. Charlie McGonigal was working the New York mob scene in 1996. Louis Bledel, you might be asking who that guy is. Let me tell you who that guy is, because he also shows up in the current allegations around Albania. And this is, would be FBI officer number three, if you're counting, involved in some way or another with the corruption going on or alleged corruption going on in Albania. Here's where that little bit comes in. In one of the indictments, it says that on March 4th, 2018, this is after Charlie McGonigal's retirement, a defendant McGonigal dined in Washington, D.C. with, among others, Person A, the Prime Minister of Albania, and Person A, by the way, was this Mr. Nezo that we introduced you to earlier. The Prime Minister of Albania we've just been speaking about is Eddie Rama, and a former FBI special agent who was working on international, at an international professional services firm. Now, we know that not long after this particular event of this dinner, the, law, the professional services firm, which is Ernst & Young, received a big contract from the Albanian government, an anti-corruption contract from the Albanian government. And it's Louis Bladell who was working as the main person at Ernst & Young who was benefiting from this particular contract. In fact, the prime minister even called out Bladell's name when he made the announcement that he was awarding Ernst & Young the anti-corruption contract. So who is Louis Bledel? He is the guy who preceded Charles McGonigal as the supervising agent in charge of counterintelligence in the New York field office. Not just any role, that's a pretty significant role. But on October 12, 2015, is when Jim Comey appointed Louis Bledel to, the, to that position of special agent in charge of the counterintelligence division of the New York field office. Prior to that, uh, Mr. Bladell was in Washington, D.C., where he served as the chief of the counterproliferation center. So that would have put him in headquarters and also working counterintelligence and counterespionage. It puts him basically in the same zone as Charles McGonigal was before he moved to the new job of counterintelligence in New York City, because McGonigal before that was also in Washington, D.C., working on cyber counterintelligence. All these people in the same zone. Um, also, it's important to note that Mr. Bladell started off in 1996, just like Mr. McGonigal started their, their careers at the New York field office in 1996. These are pretty stunning and unusual things to learn that these people started at the same place at the same time as Rudy Giuliani and Jim Colston was there. You've really got to spend some time thinking about that. So that's officer number three that we now have entangled in potentially this corruption. Now, it doesn't appear to me like Bladell is going to get charged. I think he's maybe he's pled. Maybe there's a secret plea deal. Maybe he's flipped. I don't know. So we're not looking at another person being charged, but it's certainly he was close enough to the action. And there's another police officer involved. Now, this is not someone who's mentioned in the indictments, but it is someone who prosecutors put in their initial subpoena to the grand jury. And his name is Thomas Fitzgerald, former FBI officer, agent as well also worked for the New York Police Department. I don't know very much about him and how he's tied into this, and he may not be tied into this, but I did take a look at his, what's called the Guardian Consulting, and look at the uplift there in the amount of money that uh, he was able to suddenly generate in 2019 to 2021 when all of this was happening. $2.8 million from what was a, a, an average of about 180000 before. So Tom Fitzgerald's company suddenly had a big boost of money as a lot of this action was happening to the tune of $3 million. That could be an indication that he was involved. Maybe he was involved and he's flipped. Who knows? But that is agent number four. Four. 
former Federal Bureau of Investigation agents involved in what appears to be a scheme targeting Albania and uh, the neighboring countries there at the behest potentially of influences or operators out of Russia, potentially under the behest or at the behest of Oleg Deripaska and his company. Who knows if it went all the way to Putin? Um, and so let's get back to the second of those agents. And then I might leave it for tonight because there's so much more, but I don't know if we can get to all of it tonight. There's Mark Thomas Rossini. Mark Thomas Rossini was recently charged and pled, although he said he was innocent, I think he took a plea saying that he was involved in the in bribing the governor of Puerto Rico, which is a small-ish kind of corruption piece, but it still nevertheless is a piece of corruption you don't want to get involved with if you're a former FBI agent. But he, was, he had to turn himself into cops. He says he's innocent, but I think he took a plea deal. What's interesting about that is Mr. Rossini also at the time apparently worked for a company controlled by Walter Soriano. Walter Soriano is a British-Israeli businessman. He has ties in many places, and he's a very controversial figure. And I'm pausing very carefully as I'm saying each word about him because he's very litigious. There is a massive lawsuit currently underway in Britain targeting a friend of this show's for his reporting about Mr. Soriano, in which he alleges a bunch of things, which I will tell you about in just a few minutes. But Mr. Soriano is quite the character, and he also is allegedly tied to Oleg Deripaska. So we're wondering if Mr. Soriano, even though he's not mentioned in this current indictment around what's going on in Albania or around Charlie McGonigal, is it possible that as a operative who works closely with Oleg Deripaska and as someone who apparently or allegedly previously employed Mark Thomas Rossini, is it possible that there's some connection between Walter Soriano and Charles McGonigal? I didn't show you slides a couple. Here's the Mark Thomas Rossini slide. And there you see Walter Soriano and that why he turned himself in Puerto Rico to face those criminal charges. And a little blurb here about Walter Soriano. Born 1967, he's a British-Israeli businessman. He's a CEO and owner of several companies, including USG Security. That's the company that Mark Thomas Rossini allegedly worked for him. And a UK-based firm specializing in the litigation support, crisis management, and asset tracing. Interesting guy. I, as I mentioned, he is involved in this very complicated lawsuit that is, is targeting an American journalist in a British court and what this particular journalist, Scott Speedman, has done, Stedman, I'm sorry, has done, is ask Mr. Rossini to testify. And in fact, I believe that he did testify, if I'm not mistaken, but I haven't got that testimony in front of me. All I know is that, and this is reading from the legal brief that was submitted to the British court, so there's certainly nothing wrong with doing this. In this new proceeding, Rossini likely possesses additional unique evidence that will aid the petitioner's defense in the English defamation case. Rossini's tenure at USG spanned years and covered some of the most critical events described in the petitioner's articles. Events Soriano denies ever occurred. Rossini, a USG contractor, also likely possesses contracts, unpayable contracts, or pay stubs. It says here, Forensics News' articles also describe Soriano's connections to Dmitry Rybolovlev, another oligarch and one of the wealthiest people in Russia. Forensic News reported that Rybolovlev hired Soriano to assist with multiple legal disputes in and around 2016, including one dispute with Swiss banker and art dealer Yves Bouvier. Forensic News details Soriano's connection to the high-ranking Israeli government officials and intelligence officers. For instance, Forensic News reported, based in part on the 2018 Israeli news expose, 
that Soriano had been confidant of former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for decades. Forensic News also reported, based on testimony from July 2019, an Israeli court proceeding, that Soriano had once claimed Netanyahu was a partner in USG. And, in addition, these direct ties to Netanyahu, Forensic News reported that Soriano had business relationships with Isaac Mobo, Moho, sorry, Netanyahu's long confidant and attorney. These are not allegations that we are confirming. I don't know if any of this is true or not, but these are the stuff that Forensic News has reported. More importantly, it's the stuff that is now sitting in an official court document in Britain related to this court case, and they have restated all these findings in an official court document, which we are quoting there. There are other people that confirm what is out there about Mr. Soriano. Here in this particular article, someone from BB's office said, we nicknamed him the thug. He worked, he did things for Netanyahu. He's a friend of Netanyahu. On his Facebook page, the prime minister is obliged to deny claiming not to have met Walter Soriano for eight years. In fact, that's what BB says. BB says he doesn't know or hasn't seen Walter Soriano for a long time. Maybe that's true. Who knows? It could be true. It's certainly interesting that he's denying all these things. There is a lot more to the Walter Soriano piece of this, and we're going to get to that at a later stage. But for tonight, perhaps the two takeaways that are necessary to walk away with are that there are not one, but potentially four, and maybe even more, former FBI agents who found themselves entangled in what was potentially a squad of former FBI agents operating for Oleg Deripaska and perhaps the Russian state, who knows, it could be, in operating in Albania as operatives of another country. And the allegations are vast and wide, and they include things like blackmail, bribery, investigating, falsely investigating people in the United States for crimes they didn't commit, and then also very critically being involved in this potential oil field deal, which would have netted hundreds of millions of dollars. This does lead you to many questions because, you know, even Mr. Bladell's involvement and uh, Mr. McGonagall's involvement in 2016 was so important that you want to go and ask these important questions about 2016. So people are saying online here, the Comey needs uh, his comeuppance. Is that the word? There's a lot that Jim Comey needs to, to talk about. I was watching with great interest his, his July press conference, which is the first time he came out about emails. And it's, that, there, there are six or seven instances where the FBI is trying to prosecute Hillary or Trump or someone in the summer of 2016. And it's absolutely a mess every time the FBI gets involved. What was that firing two days before retirement? I know which one you're talking about. Oh, McCabe firing two days before? Well, it's a good question. If it's about Ben McCabe, again, he was one of the people involved in the counterintelligence investigation that was started in DC. He and Peter Strzok were involved in that. We'll get into that next time. That's why Rudy went after the mafia for the Russian mob. They brought him the mid-90s. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. The 1990s, Rudy went after the Cosa Nostra. Some people say maybe he was involved in some of the attacks on people like Castellano. Certainly Donald Trump was involved with the takedown of Fatoni Salerno. These are all important names because that set the whole of New York's crime scene in a different direction. And, you know, in fact, look at where it's led us. Deripaska and Manafort and McGonigal have, we touched on that. No, we haven't, but thank you so much for bringing it up because, of course, Deripaska was Manafort's man, not just in the Trump campaign, but also in Ukraine and also in these, some of these other smaller countries. I think he operated in Montenegro with Kalimnik, the GRU asset, 
the connection between Paul Manafort and all of this is, is very close. Manafort is a dirty tricks guy. He's a dirty ops guy. And a lot of the stuff they were doing was stuff like that. But it's interesting to note that even earlier on, Manafort also operated in places like Montenegro, maybe even in Albania too. It's a very small, compact part of the world. Not a lot of people live there, but it's very important geopolitically. There will be more about Manafort coming out as we work through some of the impact of the 2016 FBI decisions and why it took them so long to get some of these investigations going, why it's spent months and months before they really turned to Papadopoulos and to the Steele dossier tonight. I'm going to leave you with just an interesting thought from, from Robert Mueller. Have a great Thursday night. We shall see you again next week on Narrative. Here is Robert Mueller. As alleged by the grand jury in an indictment, Russian intelligence officers who are part of the Russian military launched a concerted attack on our political system. The indictment alleges that they use sophisticated cyber techniques to hack into computers and networks used by the Clinton campaign. Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives. <laughs>